Today on Balanced Black Girl, we're talking about reframing our relationship with alcohol. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Les. I'm your host. And on this show, we like to get wellnessy. We talk about the physical, the mental, emotional, social, and financial aspects of wellness each week. And I actually want to shout out our amazing community manager, Shaquela, for suggesting this episode topic. If you're in Club Balanced, our community on Geneva, then you know Shaquela. She runs the show there. She keeps us all connected and is really my right hand in all things Balanced Black Girl. And she knows that I have been mindful of my alcohol intake for a while, particularly the past year, and recommended that it could be a good topic to speak to on the show, especially post-holidays and as we're reframing the reset. And I thought that it was a really great idea. So here we are. Now, what this episode is not is a place for judgment or me trying to tell you what you should or should not do. If you're of age and you choose to consume alcohol, that is 100% your choice. And also if you or someone you love has experienced addiction with alcohol, I want to extend you warm hugs and also reiterate that this is truly not a judgmental space for anyone who may need support when it comes to this topic. So today I'm going to share my experience as a person who used to drink pretty often, I'll say, and who relied on alcohol in many social situations and how that's changed over the years. And now as I'm in a more sober, curious space, I want to share what that's been like and provide a foundation for reflection if you feel called to think more about your own relationship with alcohol and the place drinking alcohol has in our culture, particularly here in the States. First, I want to share more about my relationship with alcohol and how it's changed throughout the years. Now, I'll say I didn't really grow up exposed to alcohol very often. It wasn't something my parents kept in the house. Neither of them were very big drinkers, especially when my brother and I were little. You know, now that everybody's grown, they get their groove on a little more. (laughs) Uh, But when I was younger, we really never had it in the house. Uh, I've had some other family members who have had their own experiences with addiction, which I was aware of, but I didn't have daily exposure to it. As a teenager in high school, I didn't drink at all, partially because I was not cool. So I was not being invited to do cool stuff at the cool parties with the cool kids. Me and my friends in high school, we just weren't really into it. I was pretty quiet and reserved. I was pretty socially awkward. Honestly, didn't say a whole lot unless I was around my really close friends. And we were all pretty studious and kept to ourselves. We also all had you know, pretty strict parents. I wouldn't say that my parents were super strict, but there was certainly no being out all night for me by any means. Also, my brother is a lot younger than me. And I remember in high school hearing other people talk about drinking and thinking, like, okay, if I go to this party and get drunk or do whatever, then what? I just go home? <laughs> That's not going to go over too well. I just go home where my you know, eight or nine-year-old brother is going to see me like that and think that when he's you know, 16, 17, that's what he needs to be doing. It just, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to set that example for him. Um, also, my best friend is a first-generation Nigerian and her parents were pretty strict and they were certainly not letting her do Lord knows what. So she and I just spent a lot of time together hanging out at home where our parents were always around. I actually remember Cinco de Mayo, my senior year of high school, 
actually being one of the most fun nights of high school. I went to her house. We ended up making our own little like virgin margaritas and (laughs) danced to and tried to recreate every video from Beyonce's B-Day album. And it we had a blast. And that was the kind of stuff we were doing. Like alcohol just wasn't really a thing for us. And we were in our own little groove with our own little nerdy group of friends. But college is where things got interesting. My college experience was traumatic. That's the best way that I could describe it. And in a lot of ways, I'm still unpacking and beginning to understand that time in my life and what that time in my life has been for me. I know for a lot of people, they feel like those are the best years of their lives. And you know, I don't have that experience or I don't reflect upon college in that way. I went to a PWI, which was probably... My first mistake, which was not only a PWI, but I was at a PWI that was one of the most just pretentious, elitist, passive aggressive examples of just a very liberal, racist place. When I was in college, that was when President Obama got elected the first time and plenty of people running around campus being super excited who would treat me and some of the other black students like absolute trash. And it's like, make it make sense. And, you know, the BS started pretty early in my college career and really continued until I graduated. Why I stayed there for four years, I don't fully know, but college is where I had my first real introduction to alcohol. And I started off pretty slow because I was new to drinking. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't want to get caught up. It kind of scared me a little bit. (laughs) The first real weekend of college uh, was supposed to be our first weekend of like really college partying and it ended terribly. One of the fraternities at my school used to throw a pajama jam every year the first weekend we were back. And so me and my roommate and a few other people we hung out with were excited to go. Uh, My roommate also had her friend from high school come visit who hadn't gone off to college yet. We ended up getting a bottle of vodka from I don't even know where or how. And we planned to pre-funk with it before the pajama jam. So I'm excited. I got my cute pajamas like you know, TLC creep video ready for the pajama jam. Uh, And during the pregame getting ready process, somehow most of our group just ended up going a little too hard. I don't fully know why or how or what was going on. I remember drinking a little bit, I think maybe mixing uh, some of the vodka with some pop that I got from the cafeteria. And feeling a little, you know, a little good, maybe a little bit buzzed, but pretty quickly, like these girls got absolutely wasted. And it was very clear that we were not making it to the party. Long story short, I end up alone in my dorm room with my roommate's friend from high school, who I honestly didn't know and had met that day, who was getting really sick all over our room. She ended up being okay. um, But that was kind of my first experience with drinking was not understanding how quickly that happened and ending up taking care of somebody else. And that kind of scared me even more. <laughs> it just made me want to tread very carefully. And I was I was scared for a while to really drink. And so for the rest of my freshman year, I just I, I would drink a little bit, but I didn't like drink, drink. I would drink just enough on the weekends to maybe feel a little bit more confident, maybe a little bit less socially awkward, but I still wasn't truly getting drunk because I was, I didn't want to get sick. I didn't want other people to have to take care of me the way I had just experienced. It just, I was a little too nervous for that. 
Then came sophomore year and I became more comfortable around alcohol. I think I just became a lot more familiar with it. I got better at it. I just became a bit more of a confident drinker and understanding my limits a little bit more and just how things progress. And again, as a kind of socially awkward person, I really liked that false sense of confidence that I got from it, this false sense of outgoingness. And so from my sophomore year on, college really got increasingly more traumatic. Like my sophomore year onwards was really where it started hitting the fan. I experienced a lot of racism that was really just traumatic. I remember having my car vandalized. I had some really horrible experiences with dating that were just humiliating and left a lot of emotional scars for a long time. And so when it was time to party on the weekends, I would just start drinking increasingly more to just feel okay going through those experiences. And the racism got progressively worse. The sexism got progressively worse. And thing dealing with mean girls got progressively worse. I had moments myself where I was the mean girl and and I started feeling progressively worse about that. And drinking and partying on the weekends, it just became the new normal. So by my junior and senior year, I could put a decent amount of alcohol away. And I had a few, actually two in particular occasions where I definitely had way too much and it did not end well. And I'm really grateful. Like I, to this day, regularly thank God that the worst thing that happened to me during those times were a hangover and a bit of embarrassment because it could have easily not been the case. Other things definitely could have happened and I'm really grateful that they didn't. But it was a bit of a wake-up call for me to just start being a bit more mindful of what I was consuming and how I was presenting myself. Now, around this time, that was when I became interested in wellness. I knew alcohol certainly was not healthy, but I didn't understand at the time how contradictory my like weekend partying habits were to my emerging wellnessy lifestyle. But by my second semester senior year, I was like, okay, we're going to pump the brakes. And, you know, I still went to parties and I would still drink, but I was just becoming a lot more aware of myself and the version of myself that I turned into as I was drinking more. At that time, I still felt like I couldn't really socialize without it. And there weren't really opportunities to be social without it, it felt like, but I just, I started having little pings of awareness. And after college, I mean, a lot of social settings did still revolve around alcohol. My first job after graduation, I worked in corporate and I was in a rotational program with 10 other new college grads, which was on one hand, a great experience and on another hand, a terrible experience. This was basically college with a paycheck. We were all 22, fresh out of college. We would go to happy hours. We would go out on the weekends. We were glorified interns, basically. And our social time usually revolved around drinking. Now, thankfully, at that point, my like sloppy days were behind me. I left those in college, but I was still definitely having, you know, drinks on the weekends, most weekends, and it wasn't necessarily serving me. So about a year after I graduated, 
I just, I started reaching a bit of a tipping point. I'd actually moved to Portland for a temporary work assignment and I was living by myself for the first time ever. And I was also spending a lot of time by myself. I didn't really have many friends in Portland. I would sometimes have some friends or family come, you know, visit me on the weekends, but I truly spent that chunk of time mostly alone. And I found that when I was alone, when I felt peaceful being alone, I just wasn't that interested in alcohol. Like drinking didn't even occur to me to do outside of social settings. And at this time, I was really all in on my fitness journey. So I was like all about my morning routine. I was all about going to the gym. I was all about learning how to lift weights. And I was really entering my personal development girly era. And I was actually feeling pretty good. By the time I moved back to Seattle, like my wellness, girly, personal development era was full swing. I mean, at this point, it was probably my whole personality, which is also not great, but <laughs> it, it was what it was. Um, by my mid-20s, when I was about 24, 25, I really didn't drink much at all except for special occasions. At that point, it definitely wasn't a weekly occurrence, and it also started to not feel necessary to remain social. Uh, during that time when I was living on my own, this was actually like before Uber was really a thing, or maybe Uber was like just getting started. But basically, if I wanted to go out or if I wanted to go somewhere, I had to drive myself. Um, and so I would go out on the weekends with my friends. I wasn't drinking a lot of the time when I would drive myself if I didn't like carpool with them. And I just started feeling a lot more comfortable being out and being social without alcohol. I remember one time, this was when I was like really trying to be healthy, probably doing too much. And I had also driven myself that night, I'm sure. And I snuck kombucha in the club, which now that I think about it, it's like, what girl, bye. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I think I posted a picture of it back in the day. Uh, I'll dig it up and see if I can find it of, of me being proud of sneaking my kombucha in the club, which is like, girl, it's just not that serious. Get a soda water. And these days, at least in LA, they're likely selling kombucha at the bar. So many places now have mocktails. But in like 2012, 2013, that just wasn't really the case. We were in our drinking liquor and wearing business casual in the club era. So having kombucha in the club felt like a big deal to me. <laughs> uh, so on special occasions or if I could, you know, get a ride or have friends to go in on a cab with me, I would have a few drinks, but most of the time I didn't because I was usually driving myself. Then came my Saturn return. If you're in astrology, girly, you're probably familiar with the Saturn return. We actually did talk a bit about the Saturn return in our astrology episode from last year. We haven't done an episode dedicated to the Saturn return. So that's something that um, I may need to add to our roster for, for this year. But it definitely shook up some of that peace that I had felt in my mid-20s. Things with my boyfriend and I at the time got real rocky and we eventually broke up. Uh, so to take my mind off of that, I wanted to go out because it just, it feels like, oh, when something's not going well and you want to shake it off or you want to look on the bright side of something, the natural thing is like, well, I want to go out. I want to get a drink. I want to get cute. I want to dress up with my girls. And that's just kind of the natural thing to want to do when we want to feel better. We want to be cheered up. Also during that time, my career was in shambles. I was real broke for a while. I was living at home with my parents and then I eventually moved out and got roommates that I 
did not really get along with and it was not the best living situation. And so by 2017, going into 2018, it was like weekend party time again, still never to the point of sloppiness that I was in college, but I was definitely going out most weekends, having a few drinks most weekends, trying to meet dudes, which, you know, good luck with that. And it just, it didn't feel good. It didn't feel fun. It didn't feel like I was shaking off what was going on in my life. I didn't like where I was in my life. And I started really wanting to make some changes. So a little while after that, I started Balanced Black Girl, actually, by late 2018. And I didn't consciously think like, oh, I'm not going to go out anymore. But I did have this new sense of focus with this new thing that I created. And it just made me really want to be a better version of myself for myself and for you all and for how I show up here. And that version of myself was just a bit more focused, was a bit more present and wasn't really looking for an escape in the ways that I had been previously. Now, I don't know how old you are. If you're kind of maybe in your late 20s or older, as you may know, when you get a little older, alcohol begins to hit different and you really don't bounce back like you used to. And so when I entered my late 20s, I no- I just noticed how tired it made me. And during that time, when I first started BBG, I was so excited about it. I was doing everything on my own. It was a lot of work. And I was just like, I don't, I don't have time to be tired all the time. At that time, I was 28, 29, still going through my Saturn return, but emerging a bit. And I found myself feeling just increasingly comfortable with myself and comfortable with the things that were making me sad. I mean, I was definitely still sad from a lot of what was going on in my life. And I started feeling more comfortable allowing the waves of sadness wash over me, but also wash away without feeling like I wanted to numb out or hide like I did when I was younger. I just started letting myself feel things more. Uh, During this time, I actually had a really wonderful therapist who I started seeing after my grandmother passed and working with her to understand my feelings with that and the grief of my breakup and the stress of my career was just so helpful. And I was working with her the last year that I was living in Seattle. My work with her was just so helpful in understanding my emotions because I'd never really taken the time to do that before. I'd never really had the space to explore my own emotions in a healthy way. And I never really understood why I responded to certain things the way that I did. And I began to understand what I was in search of when I was partying or when I felt like I needed to drink to be this other version of myself. I started unpacking what it was I was looking for what it was I was seeking. And it was just my own personal awakening that really shifted my perspective in a lot of ways. So that's why I tell people to not fear the Saturn return. It's hard when you go through it, but it truly is a time that is designed to serve you and to help you really be who you are. So that was in 2019 and I did a bit of traveling, you know, and I would have a few drinks here and there, but I just became a lot more comfortable being myself in new and social spaces. And I had tools to better process my feelings. And by the time the pandemic hit, 
I felt pretty meh towards alcohol. Going into that period of isolation, I'd already had a good amount of practice really sitting with myself and my solitude and getting comfortable in that discomfort. So though, yeah, in a couple of hot days in the summer, I would maybe make frosé and enjoy it on my balcony. The thought of regularly drinking during that time, particularly of, you know, when we were staying at home or in isolation, like drinking or having a nightcap or drinking alone just didn't really occur to me as even a thing to do because I just didn't think about it. But I do want to say that even at that time, though I personally just didn't consume much alcohol and wasn't thinking of it, I still did think of it then a lot more casually than I think of it now. And I will admit, I have had alcohol brands as sponsors in the early days of this podcast. I have had guests who host wine clubs and you know episodes where we talk about that. And if I'm being totally honest, if presented with those opportunities today, I would probably turn them down. Actually, I have more recently in the past year had alcohol brands wanting to sponsor the podcast and and decided to to not take them up on it. I just I I wouldn't bring them into this space knowing what I know now about alcohol, but in the past, as recently as early 2020, I still just wasn't quite there yet and I did think of it more casually still. So from 2021 and 2022, I could count on one hand the number of times that I drank, but three of those times really opened my eyes to the health side of things. Like as a self-proclaimed wellness girly for as long as I've been, I honestly spent a lot of time oblivious to the actual health impacts of alcohol. So in 2021, there were a couple of occasions where I wanted to just turn up a little bit to have a good time. And my body was like, girl, bye. Bye. In the spring of 2021, I went to a friend's birthday party and I didn't like get drunk, but I maybe had a few drinks, maybe a couple of bottles of rose. I think we did like a toast to her, or not bottles, I'm sorry, <laughs> not bottles, glasses of rose. I think we did, you know, like a toast to her. Um, but I had drink in like a year. So, you know, a couple of small cups of rose could go a long way. Party was great, had a great time. It's all well and good. But the next day, I feel awful. And not hungover, but like my stomach, I started having these gut issues. I'd already had some gut issues that I was kind of experiencing mild symptoms of, but that next day, my gut was angry. I was bloated. I was uncomfortable. I was breaking out. I felt horrible and it was really, really weird. I thought maybe it was a fluke. Maybe I was like, I'm just kind of getting old or I don't know. Maybe I ate something that my body didn't agree with. I couldn't really tell. But then a few weeks later, me and some of my girlfriends who live in Seattle decided to do a virtual wine tasting. We basically ordered these little kits uh, and we drank wine and talked on Zoom. And I was like, okay, this is just a few glasses of wine. No big deal. This should be fine. And it was not fine. Same stomach issues, same bloating, same discomfort, breaking out. And I was just also experiencing some other kind of unfun, uncomfortable symptoms. Come to find out, I had a candida overgrowth that I had actually had for a while, but the alcohol from both of those occasions had the excess yeast in my body like, hey girl, hey, we're pulling up. And my gut was through. My gut was like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was breaking out horribly. I had this like coating on my tongue that was just awful. 
So when I learned what was happening, I had to go on a candida protocol and couldn't eat or drink anything that would feed the yeast, which was basically anything that breaks down to sugar in the body. And I was like, okay, so if alcohol is feeding this yeast overgrowth in my body, like what else is it feeding? What else is it doing? And it got me really interested in understanding the health impacts of alcohol besides, you know, oh, it's bad for your liver if you have too much, but how much was too much? I mean, I wasn't getting totally faded. So how much was safe to have? I had to learn what that meant. And we'll talk about that later. But after those two experiences and getting through candida, it was no alcohol for me through the end of 2021. Fast forward to the spring of 2022. And I went on an influencer trip to Sonoma in Wine County, which is beautiful uh, and lovely, but I was uh, creating this content in and around Sonoma. And I just, I felt like I needed to be drinking wine. Like I got set up to do these wine tours and visit these local businesses and everything revolved around wine. And I just felt like I needed to participate. Like that's what wine country is. So I drank a tiny bit throughout the trip. I mean, some sips, maybe the equivalent of like a glass each day of this three to four day trip. And during that trip, I felt more anxious than I'd felt in a really long time. Now, granted, it was a work trip and creating content in scenarios like that can certainly feel stressful, but I felt like I should not have been as anxious as I was. And not long after that, I learned the potential effects that alcohol can have on anxiety. And I was like, okay, maybe this is just a sign that I am just better off without it at all. And so that's how it's been for me since. I got curious about what life without alcohol in any context could look like. And for me so far, it's felt good. It's an entirely different feeling than I had in my late teens and early 20s, but I'm grateful to have learned what I've learned and I'm grateful for the coping skills that I've acquired along the way. When I got curious with myself about why I drank and particularly why I drank so much when I was younger, I realized that it was to ease discomfort. It was to ease insecurity. It was to feel like I belonged. And as I've found ways to sit with discomfort and as I've found a sense of security and built confidence in who I am and found a sense of belonging within myself that I can bring everywhere I go, alcohol has just become less interesting because that need that it was fulfilling is no longer a need. I'm getting those things from within instead of getting those things from alcohol. So I just feel an immense sense of gratitude for getting to learn how to cope with my feelings in healthier ways. And as alcohol continues to be a smaller and smaller part of my life, I just find myself feeling more energized. Like As I said earlier, I can't afford to be as tired as drinking makes me. And I just feel more creative and clear. But life can also get really real and things happen and coping mechanisms are necessary for different stages of life. So I do want to continue learning and evolving and building my toolkit of healthy coping mechanisms so that as life gets to lifing, I'm staying ready so I don't have to get ready. And as I continue to educate myself on the vast health impacts of drinking and what alcohol does to our minds and bodies, it's providing even more perspective that is making me question why drinking is seen as such a casual thing in our culture. So we're going to pause for a quick break from our sponsor. And when we get back, I want to talk more about the health impacts of drinking alcohol. Welcome back. I want to talk a bit more about what alcohol does 
to the body when it's consumed. Now, this is not meant to be scary. Honestly, a lot of this information was new to me until about a year ago, but I do think it's important to understand so that we can know exactly what we're putting in our bodies and make the most informed choices for ourselves. Also, the ways that we're taught about the health risks of alcohol, or at least the ways I was taught, I felt like it didn't really give me the information I needed to make the most informed decisions that I could have made. In health class, context I heard growing up, it was framed as if, you know, alcohol is dangerous if you drive, which we all know is not okay, and or if you have a dependency and do it every day, then it's bad. Okay, So there's a lot in between there. And for a lot of folks who may not identify with that, or for those of us who, you know, binge drank on the weekends in college, but not really any other time may think, okay, well, I'm all right then. But that's actually not quite how it works. So while consumption in excess is not good, more information is coming out that alcohol, even in the smallest of quantities, really isn't doing us any favors health-wise. A 2018 study by The Lancet examined whether moderate alcohol consumption was protective for certain health conditions, and the study found that no alcohol of consumption is beneficial for health and that there essentially is no such thing as a healthy amount of alcohol to consume. Alcohol consumption can cause damage to the heart, inflammation in the liver, as well as the pancreas. It's also considered a carcinogen and is associated with increased risk of various cancers and can suppress immune function, leaving us more vulnerable to other infections and conditions. Now, health issues stemming from alcohol consumption are beginning to impact younger people at faster rates. According to research done in 2019, the fastest group of people to pass away from cirrhosis of the liver were between the ages of 25 and 34 years old. So young. And women are also being increasingly impacted by alcohol-related conditions, which gives us insight into alcohol consumption habits among populations, which we'll get into later. But it's really telling that if we're seeing people who are younger and younger, and we're increasingly seeing women, that shows us that younger people are beginning to drink in excess more, and women are drinking in excess more. In addition to things like illness and how alcohol impacts our organs, alcohol also has a negative impact on our sleep. Even though drinking may help us fall asleep, it disrupts the REM cycle of our sleep, which is important for keeping our minds and bodies energized. So this is why we can drink and fall asleep and feel like maybe it does help us fall asleep easily, but still not be rested because we're not actually getting the regenerative kind of sleep that our bodies require. I also want to go back to a point I mentioned earlier about the connection between alcohol and anxiety. So while initially we can feel a sense of like unwind, a little wind down, alcohol acts as a depressant for our central nervous system and it impacts our serotonin levels, which can lead to increased feelings of anxiety and depression depending on the person and how their body metabolizes it. Now, I know that there are some reported benefits of alcohol, particularly red wine, which has antioxidants that are believed to help protect the lining of the blood vessels in the heart. Reversatrol is the antioxidant that is found in red wine that is believed to be beneficial. Here's the thing. Studies on the benefits of reversatrol have been proven in mice. In these controlled studies, the mice are given really 
large doses. They're actually given larger doses than we as humans are able to get of reversatrol from most sources, larger doses than we're able to get drinking moderately. So if we weigh the benefits of having to drink so much red wine to even be able to get like a fraction of the antioxidants we would need, we, we weigh that benefit to the other damage that it's doing in the body it just doesn't really make sense. It's not a fair trade. And in addition to the antioxidants we may be getting from wine, we're getting sulfites, which at least in a lot of wines in the US, which a lot of people react negatively to and can also make you feel worse. And alcohol is going to be impacting us in all of the ways that I just listed. So like that tiny dose of antioxidants, it doesn't really make sense when we look at the data. Also, you know what else has antioxidants? Fruit, (laughs) food, pomegranate or palm juice, which has been a sponsor of the show. I love enjoying berries, blueberries, cacao, chocolate, nuts, seeds, like all of these foods are packed with antioxidants and many of them are a great source of fiber that is all around pretty dang good for you. So any health benefits that you can find in something like a red wine, those benefits are available in other things that don't also have things that are going to be so detrimental to your health. So if you're looking for antioxidants, I recommend probably getting them from fruit before you look to get them from wine. All I'm saying is that the benefits we've been told don't necessarily outweigh the risks. And if we aren't doing other things to keep our hearts healthy, like exercise or eating a diet with whole foods or managing our stress, then a glass of red wine is not going to be what saves us. When we also think about the risk of injury, impaired judgment, if we really think about that, if something can impair our judgment, right? Just think about what it's doing to our brain, right? Thinking about that is a sobering thought, no pun intended. But if it's causing that kind of temporary brain damage to impair your judgment and impair your movements, what is it doing in the long term or in the mid? term. It doesn't even have to be long to start really seeing the negative impacts of this add up. Just thinking about how vulnerable alcohol can make us when we are impaired, it can be really scary. And it's something that I really wish I understood better earlier in life. Now, I share that with you again, not to scare you, to make you feel bad if you choose to drink. Like, listen, I've been saying a lot in this series, you are the boss. You are the boss of you. I just like to share what I learned along the way in case there's a nugget in there that can be of service to you. And I mean, listen, you heard my story, okay? I was not doing myself any favors at some points in my life up until last year. So I'm not holier than thou or better than anybody. I'm just learning new information and I'm learning how to treat my body, how it wants to be treated. And my goal here is to really help us make the most informed decisions we can about our health and what we put in our bodies. So we're going to take another quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the culture of drinking for women and reframing our relationship with drinking culture. Welcome back. We are continuing our conversation on reframing alcohol. Now, I want to talk a bit about the culture of drinking among women. In the U.S., the gender alcohol consumption gap has been shrinking pretty quickly for the past century, but especially in the past decade. By 2019, women in their teens and early 20s were drinking and getting drunk at faster rates than their male peers for the first time 
ever, though it is important to note that overall drinking rates for people in their teens and 20s are on the decline. So generationally, Gen Z is doing a bit better than us millennials and the generations before us. So overall drinking levels among Gen Z are on the decline compared to other generations, but of those who do still choose to drink, young women are drinking at higher and faster rates compared to their male counterparts. Speaking of millennials, I got to talk to us for a second. Women over 26 are consuming alcohol at faster rates than their male peers as well. And this increase in drinking among women is also happening at the same time that we're seeing an increase in mental health concerns for women. Research is showing that many women are increasingly drinking to cope compared to their male counterparts who are more likely to drink for enjoyment. And honestly, I understand. Life be life and particularly the past few years, been stressful and women have had a really heavy load in this pandemic. Between the pandemic and the isolation that came from that, financial stress for those who are mothers, there's so many challenges just period, but especially over the past few years, work stress, the often unequal distribution of household labor that falls on women regardless of employment status. It's a lot, and it's natural that people are looking for ways to cope with the stress of all of these things that they're managing, but it is a slippery slope when alcohol is what we're using to cope. Now, according to research, when people drink to cope, they are more likely to develop a dependency than those who drink for pleasure. We've also seen an increase in messaging that really encourages drinking for women and almost brands it to be this cute millennial pink thing where you can get a graphic tee or a print that shows a glass of wine calling it mommy juice. I mean, I'm pretty sure back in the day I had some graphic tees that said like, yes, way rosé or something. And, but when we think about like the rebranding of wine as mommy juice, like what does that say about the state of support for mothers who are under a lot of pressure? Or when we think about brunch culture, what we think of when we say brunch and the immediate association, at least for me, with mimosas and cutting up and how that influences our idea of what we think we need to do to have fun. I can relate to that. I definitely felt like I've needed to drink to have fun or be social or to be fun, right? The impact of the continued messaging that reinforces is astronomical. Drinking is so ingrained in our culture that when you decide not to drink, it can also make people really uncomfortable and almost defensive. They want to know why, or they may feel defensive about their own choices, or they may want to pressure you into it. In a lot of spaces, it's just such an expectation that people need to do it. In different regions, it can be such an expectation that people need to do it. And it's a big thing. So if you're someone who has maybe felt uncomfortable about someone else choosing not to drink, it could be interesting to reflect on why that is and where that belief comes from or what about that makes you feel uncomfortable. And when I think about reframing our collective and individual relationships with alcohol, I think honest conversations about what we're looking to gain from alcohol are important. Again, for me, when I drank more often, it was to feel at ease in spaces that I was uncomfortable in. It was to feel less socially awkward. It was to feel more confident. And I'm sure plenty of other people can relate to that. I think when we're able to get curious about what it is we're looking for from alcohol, which is this addictive substance that is poison. I mean, truly, it's, it's poison to our bodies. What is it that we want so badly that we're willing to poison our bodies to 
to get it, right? What is it that we want so badly that we're willing to put our bodies through so much to have it? Is it acceptance? Is it belonging, support to escape? Are we able to get what we're seeking in less destructive ways? From a social standpoint, can we find ways to connect with one another that don't rely on our impairment as a requirement? If so, what could that look like? And if we do decide to drink, can we check in with ourselves and hopefully do so from a place of true enjoyment as opposed to doing it as an escape? Now, I'm not an addiction specialist or a therapist, uh, so for anyone who has a dependency, that's going to be a different process at a different reflection, ideally that should be had with a lot of supervision and support. And while I was preparing for this episode, I found some promising research on the effects of gender-specific treatment and how affirming that can be for women. That women who go to alcohol treatment and do programs that are designed for women in community with other women tend to have higher success rates and just feel more supported than if they go to male-centered programs. Again, because as the research has shown us, men and women tend to drink for different reasons and in different ways. So having treatment that really speaks to the specific help that individuals need makes a really big difference. Now, the term sober curious has become really popular over the past few years, and it basically means abstaining from alcohol by choice for personal reasons. If you listen to the show, you know how much I love curiosity, and I'm always encouraging us to get curious with ourselves and with one another. So if you're interested in reframing your relationship with alcohol, whatever that ends up looking like, I encourage you to lead with curiosity and compassion for yourself and for other people, even if they make other choices. And I just encourage you to make the best choices for you with the information you have. And hopefully this conversation today was informative, whether you related to aspects of my story or learned a new piece of information based on what I shared. This week for the Reframing the Reset Challenge, your task is to spend some time with your journal writing about a new perspective you've gained during the course of this challenge or a belief that you are now reframing. It can be related to health, your social life and relationships, emotions. It can be related to alcohol if your perspective has shifted there. I just want you to take maybe 10 minutes journaling about a new perspective you've either gained or want to investigate further. You can share your findings with us in Club Balanced, our home in Geneva, and I can't wait to talk more about it with you. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Balanced Black Girl. I appreciate you spending time with me today. Head to the show notes for more information about today's episode, as well as links and discount codes from our sponsors. Now, next week, we're wrapping up the Reframing the Reset series, talking about focus and ways we can be mindful of where our attention is going. Thank you for joining me, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.